Welcome to Beginner Women, a podcast where we throw out our adult agendas and focus on what it takes to shape a new future for girls and young women. From education and career to health and wealth, we talk to experts, thought leaders, and extraordinary women who will challenge the way you think about girls, women, and ambition. Here's your host, Katherine Cornfield. Welcome to Beginner Women. I'm Katherine Cornfield, founder of Ambitious, and that's Ambitious with a She, where we take a unique approach to leadership and career development. We've helped hundreds of girls and young women to develop autonomy, agency, and purpose by equipping them with the critical skills and knowledge they need to thrive today and in tomorrow's world. We started this podcast because we know how important everyday role models are And we want to empower you, parents, educators, and other caring adults with smart, actionable strategies to help the beginner women in your lives reach their full potential. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome back to Beginner Women. Thank you so much for joining us. Today's guest is none other than Paulette Senior, the president and CEO of the Canadian Women's Foundation, a national nonprofit organization that aims to end violence against women move low-income women out of poverty, and to empower girls. She joined the foundation in 2016 after serving a decade as CEO of YWCA Canada and has devoted her life and career to breaking down systemic barriers and building up diverse women and girls. Her long-standing interest in social justice is grounded in her lived experience immigrating to Canada from Jamaica as a child, as well as her early work in social services in some of Toronto's most underserved neighbourhoods. She witnessed the need for systemic change and learned the power of putting the voices of women and equity-seeking communities first. Over the course of her fascinating and very impressive career, Paulette has worked with all levels of government and civil society to address issues including poverty, housing, gender-based violence, and immigration. In addition to a multitude of board seats, awards, and honors, Paulette is widely respected and sought after as a thought leader on a variety of issues critically important to girls and women. So today, we're going to touch briefly on Paulette's inspiring personal and professional journey, hear more about the current state for girls in Canada, dig into the challenges they face as they transition into adulthood, and last but not least, I'm looking forward to exploring the link between empowering girls and closing the gender gap in leadership, and who better to ask than Paulette. So obviously, I could not be happier today to be hosting Paulette. And it is an honor and a privilege to be having this conversation. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm very much looking forward to diving in. So let's get started. You are very forthcoming about the extent to which your personal experience as a young newcomer to Canada has influenced your professional path, both your approach to advocacy and leadership. And I gather that you were just 11, a very young girl, when you moved from your grandmother's home in Jamaica to join your family here in Canada. Can you take us back and tell us what that was like? Sure. So that was in 1973. Uh, My grandmother had just passed away. Everyone else in the family had already relocated to Canada. So I was the last sibling out of uh, six, uh, and I was number three, to, to come and join my family. And you know it was it was it was a hard time for the fact that I've lost my grandmother, who mm-hmm. I was very close to, but also that I was coming to a whole new culture. And while it was exciting to be joining my family and coming to Canada 
which is a new country. And, you know, I, I, I grew up as a country girl. So, uh, you know, coming to a big city like Toronto was uh, quite a quite an experience, an unforgettable one. And it's a day that I still sort of have um, embedded in my memory. I bet that is two levels of very significant change. And I I have read Mm -hmm. that you struggled a little bit with the culture shock, but also the experience in a new school. Can you tell us that story? Sure. So the the culture shock was one where I came where everyone else looked like me. Uh, uh, For those who are listening may not know, I am an African-Canadian black woman. Um, so I came where I am seeing mostly mostly white folks at the time because you're talking about the 70s. So mm-hmm. uh, Toronto was not as diverse. Um, so I'm seeing a lot of folks who didn't look like me. And so that was a, a little shocking. But I'm also seeing uh, and going into a school system that was also very different from where I came. So I went to a very didn't think it was small then, but compared to where I came, it was very small, uh, to a much bigger school here. I immigrated to the area where my parents bought a home uh, before I came, uh, the Witchwood and St. Clair area, so I went to a public school in that era in Toronto. Yeah. And it was a great community because a lot of new immigrant families were starting to come to Canada, but also the school system was very different from what I used to because, you know, I went to school with friends and here, I, you know, I had to make new friends, but also uh, had to get used to teachers who didn't know my, my family, didn't know my grandmother and, and who looked nothing like me. So that was very challenging. And and I also came from a system where I was doing very well uh, academically as a student, you know, skipping grades and, and had a really bright future academically in front of me to a system that really didn't see me as valuable or bright or capable. And then I was streamed into a lower level um, uh, grade uh, at that point. So it was very challenging. I had to really try and understand who is this new person that they're saying I am, because I don't know that person at all. Wow. Interesting. So Mm -hmm. you've described that very well. And even though it was uh, a while back, I I suspect there are many people and young women in particular who can still relate to that experience and are very inspired by the path that you have walked Mm -hmm. and and, uh, the fact that you've overcome those those early challenges in, in the way that you have. Are you able to elaborate a little bit on how this informs your work? Sure. Um, first of all, I know what it's like to feel excluded. Um, I know what it's like to move to a whole new society. Uh, I know what it's like to uh, feel as if I'm the only one going through something that is so negative. Uh, and and I, I know what it's like to um, feel as if, you know, no one really cares or could actually see me for who I am. Um, and that experience can be very disarming. It could really impact uh, your self-esteem, uh, your confidence in yourself, um, belief that you are capable. Uh, it could really uh, uh, rip apart all the um, thoughts and ideas and self-esteem that you had built up to really being challenged to 
either accept what people are saying you are or and 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 that struggle between who you are and so it could really um uh, the external perception of you could replace the internal confidence that you that you came with you know so that that is that's what the experience was like for me uh, and i had that struggle right through my academic years all the way through high school because that's a pretty tough thing to overcome but along the way i i also met some folks who uh, really uh, saw parts of me that they believed that there was something there. You know, I'm thinking of my grade seven teacher, for example, who said, you don't belong in a lower level um, grade. I don't know why you're here. So I'm going to put you right back into the regular stream. And I'm so thankful that she saw that mm-hmm. in me and did that. But even so, the remnants of what I experienced just within the first year uh, of being in Canada was still um, with me, you know, and with me for, for years to come. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine that feeling. It's not one that uh, that I experienced having been born and raised in Canada. Uh, but I can certainly appreciate that that would give you a tremendous sense of empathy and an ability mm-hmm. to relate uh, so closely to the to the folks that you've worked with over the years in in the communities and in around the issues and now with the Canadian Women's Foundation. So I'm going to actually uh, take a minute now to sort of, sort of zoom out and situate our audience in your current work. So the Canadian Women's Foundation, mm-hmm. uh, so as I understand, is laser focused on helping those who identify as women, girls or non-binary and that your mandate is, as CEO is to bolster an inclusive national movement for all women, girls, and communities across Canada. And to an mm-hmm. outsider, uh, it seems that the Canadian Women's Foundation um, is really focused on transforming lives through funding, critical programming, capacity building, uh, as well as advocating for systemic change. But can you take us a little bit behind the scenes and tell us more about the scale and the scope of your work, uh, what your focus areas are, what might be different about the approach, and 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 a little bit about the impact of, of that work? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, so I'm, I'm very honored to be working at the Canadian Women's Foundation. It's an organization that's been around for almost 30 years. In fact, next year, 2021, will be our 30th year in Canada. And it was started by a, several incredible, bold women back in 1991 who really wanted to, uh, uh, I guess, have an impact, direct impact on women helping, supporting women to achieve the ultimate goal of gender equality in all aspects of their lives. So there couldn't be a more bold brave and auspicious uh, uh, vision for an organization to step into. And so there are a couple things that we, that we do and, and do well and have grown over the years is that we raise money from a number of different sources, from individuals, uh, corporations, foundations. We raise several million dollars per year. And then we also grant out several million dollars per year. And the areas of granting, uh, our focus areas include uh, women's economic development. So mm-hmm. we fund programs that work with women in communities throughout Canada 
whether it's to start their own businesses, to learn new skills, et cetera, et cetera, to, to really bolster their own economic independence. We also fund programs for uh, women to, uh, in, in the areas of leadership development, so for women to lead in their own lives. Uh, we fund programs in the area of uh, girls' empowerment, and for us, that's really about supporting girls and young women who are transitioning from childhood to adolescence and then into adulthood with the skills that they need to be able to decipher for themselves who they want to be, to build their self-esteem, and for them to also, end in the process, uh, become leaders in their own lives and in their communities. And gender-based violence is the, is the fourth area. So violence prevention work, addressing gender-based violence, supporting organizations that are working in those areas uh, throughout the country, from shelters to community-based programming, et cetera. So all the areas that work, work with, with, um, with uh, women in terms of uh, keeping them safe in their communities, in their homes, uh, wherever they may be. That is a very bold, as you say, an ambitious agenda for for a single organization. And you cover sort of a very real breadth uh, of issues. And you do that Mm -hmm. through um, not just the funding, but but the advocacy as well. And so I know that the foundation is research-driven and evidence-based. I know that because Mm -hmm. I go to your website frequently. (laughs) And and you have collected uh, a great deal of sort of uh, data to support the work you do in those areas. At Ambitious, Mm -hmm. um, I too, and we are preoccupied with those uh, same issues, especially as they relate to girls uh, and young women from 13 to 30. And so it's, it's, it's kind of an opportunity I can't really miss in conversation with you. Uh, is mm-hmm. I would love for you to share your perspective, your view uh, based on your work, but also the research of the foundation to give us sort of the lay of the land. What is the current state for girls in Canada? What do they face in terms of uh, challenges uh, and barriers to, mm-hmm. to uh, re- achieving their full potential? Mm-hmm. Well, I think both through the work that you do, Ambitious, and the work that we do and many other women's organizations do uh, throughout the country, uh, particularly those at uh, community-based grassroots level, you know, the working with girls is really uh, an opportunity to learn about what it is that they're facing in their own lives. And some of the things that we're seeing through our own research uh, and information gathering is that we know that girls and boys, when you know, when they get to a certain age, around you know five, six, seven, they're kind of like on the same level when they think about how they feel about themselves, how they feel about the world that they live in, you know, their and about their capabilities. We find though that when girls start to move into the older age from 12, 13 into their teens, that level of self-esteem drops significantly, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that they start to feel as if they can't do math, for example, uh, that they're not as bright, that they're not, in fact, leaders or capable of standing up um, you know, and, and speaking and, you know, so they start to feel as if they are uh, not, not um, as important as boys, 
right? Mm-hmm. And and therefore, you know, all the the messages that they receive uh, from the environment, whether it be the media, whether it be uh, different sources, social media, um, all you know, the messages that we carry around with us that sometimes as adults we don't even know we carry that around or send those messages to girls uh, that that they actually. Uh, start to take that in and then shy away from opportunities to actually shine. And so for us, that's, that's an important um, piece of work that we do when we fund programs in communities across the country to uh, support girls to actually believe in, in themselves, to engage in program activities that demonstrate that they are indeed bright and capable, um, that will build their self-esteem uh, through various programs uh, that, that, uh, that we fund. So for us, that's an important piece of work because women's lives, it's a continuum from childhood and girlhood to adulthood and womanhood. And so uh, we, we, we want to be able to uh, support them throughout the process that, that we can address a number of things. So we know, for example, we don't even have to do the stats, but we know that when it comes to leadership, whether that be in politics or business um, or in even the organizations that we work in, that women are not in those leadership positions uh, that we need to be at the level that we need to be at. Right. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, for us, that that's an important piece of, uh, that demonstrates uh, the, the gap that exists in leadership. We also know that women are not earning anywhere near what they need to be earning for work of equivalent value. You know, the stats are really clear on some of these issues, and we know that it starts from those messages, those, the socialization um, messages that they're receiving from girlhood right through their young woman um, stage and into into adulthood, that these messages have a devastating impact and it shows up in the stats that we're seeing. Right. So that's one of the reasons that we exist in terms of demystifying some of these myths that continue per- to be perpetuated in several aspects in society. You are singing my song, I have to say, because uh, you, what you describe, I think, is that sort of um, perfect storm uh, that happens to young girls um, as they sort of transition from childhood to adolescence, where they have, uh, they're experiencing higher levels of uh, sexual assault and other forms of uh, gender-based violence. They are seeing a a decline, as you say, in their mental health and wellness, as well as their confidence, Mm -hmm. um, with a combination of uh, probably the result of uh, stress, which we know about, and also just the intense scrutiny on their uh, appearance. They are um, navigating a world of cultural messages with negative stereotyping and over-sexualization, and those obviously have impacts. So uh, when it comes to girls' empowerment, Mm -hmm. uh, you're recognizing that continuum and that roadmap from, from sort of um, learner all the way to leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the programming that you fund is primarily targeted mm-hmm. at girls nine to thirteen, as I understand. Yeah, and that is because I gather that you are intending to sort of uh, it's an early intervention. And mm-hmm. I have I have two questions around that early intervention. The first is, what do you know about the impact of that early intervention over time? And second. Mm-hmm. What do you answer? Because I get the question too. What is your answer 
to why are you focusing on girls only when we know that mm-hmm. there's a, a an ongoing and growing public discourse around involving uh, more men and boys in the conversation around gender equality. So it's two questions. The first around Mm -hmm. what is the impact of the early intervention? And the second, Mm -hmm. why girls only? All right. So happy to answer both of those questions, you know, because uh, the the programs that we fund, let me just back up for a moment. The programs that we fund teaches uh, girls um, various skills and what I would call essential life skills. So self-confidence and resilience, leadership and empowerment, critical thinking, media literacy. We know the media has a a serious impact. Um, Connectedness, engagement in their school communities, developing skills, um, indigenous culture and sense of identity. Uh, STEM is a huge area in terms of really learning about how to engage in in uh, learnings around science, technology, engineering, and math. So those kinds of programs, we fund programs in those areas, as well as physical activities and sports, because a, a lot of young people actually learn many skills when they engage in sports activities. So those are some of the specific areas that we fund uh, programs, and it teaches girls these these different skills. What we know is that uh, the, the, the youth who go through these programs, about 90% of them say that they learn to recognize signs, uh, for example, of abuse. So one of the areas that we teach them is how to be, what a, what a, what a healthy relationship looks like, for example. What's involved in a healthy relationship? Because we know that gender-based violence really uh, uh, has, has a, a long-term impact on 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 women, but a lot of those the, a lot of the impacts, the negative impacts of violence, actually start from very young ages, where it has to do somewhat with um, believing in oneself, having confidence in oneself, and being able to know how to choose the right partner, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. and being able to recognize the signs of when it's on uh, an unhealthy relationship. So we have a program. Uh, funding era that's called Teen Healthy Relationships. And to answer your question about why only girls, this is a program that focuses on all genders. So girls, boys, and non-binary young people. Mm -hmm. And so this is an important area of funding because for me, gender-based violence is one of the most serious impacts on people's lives and on particularly on women's lives. But when we can get young people together to recognize what the signs of a healthy relationship is, this is the prevention work that I think we need to do. So we know that when they go through this program, for example, about 90% of them say that they have learned what the signs are and that they have the confidence to actually be able to spot it and be able to not choose those kinds of relationships. Then we have programs that only focus on girls, and we don't apologize for that because it's important based on the stats that we know, if it's only 33% of girls between 9 to 13 say that they're feeling confident, then we have a problem because the problems, as you said before, has to do with mental health, has to do with how they feel about themselves. And, so, uh, and, and these stats are in comparison to boys. So if girls are saying only a third of them are feeling like they're, that, that they're confident, then these programs are uh, unapologetically targeting girls to really rebuild their self-esteem. 
And, and because I think that's one of the routes that we need to take in terms of addressing the overall issue of gender equality that girls and young women, adolescent girls, can actually stand up and, and, and uh, be able to fully participate in their lives, in, the, in their communities, and be able to even eventually run for different political positions. And, and at the end, be able to, to make critical decisions about society, knowing uh, that uh, those, these are some of the skills that are really important for their own, uh, for their own development. Uh, I like uh, what you said about being unapologetic about uh, sort of those mm-hmm. targeted interventions with girls. Um, that might be mm-hmm. something I quote you uh, again uh, in <laughs> saying because uh, I feel the same way. And I, I have um, uh, with Ambitious, we we have the, a very similar philosophy about that early intervention and, and uh, giving uh, girls and young women an opportunity to sort of spot stuff and understand it before it becomes an issue. And and our emphasis is more on their economic independence. So we do a lot of work around sort of financial literacy and business literacy and civic literacy and that sort of thing. Um, but really with the same long view as the sooner the better that they understand and know these things and the more empowered they are and equipped, frankly, to make uh, choices that will uh, – ensure that they thrive, but also enable them to build those building blocks of confidence as they go. Mm -hmm. So our audience, Mm -hmm. as I said, is primarily parents and educators and and mentors uh, of girls. What's the good news? What does the future look like in your mind for girls and young women, given the work that you're doing, given the world we live in today, uh, despite the strong societal and cultural forces that that face girls? What's your experience with them on on the front line? You know, we, we've had the um, opportunity to work uh, directly with some girls from different programs that we fund, and we brought them in to share their messages with us uh, around what it, you know, what it's like to be a girl, what's exciting about being, being girls. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to be in the same room with these girls, and I can tell you <laughs> without a doubt that I am confident in the future for girls. I'm confident in the future for young women. I'm confident in the future for what women will be able to achieve uh, in in society. So I think the future is open and boundless. Um, I think that uh, we need to continue investing directly in programs for girls and advocating for change and amplifying the conversations that we need to be amplifying to to demonstrate the capability and power of girls in bringing around change. Uh, if if you look nationally or even internationally, we we have adolescent girls who are doing incredible work on the global front and on the national front. Whether it's about the climate, whether it's about indigenous rights, uh, whether it's about issues around um, inclusion and diversity, that they're girls who are raising their voices of, uh, about these issues and, and their level of um, commitment and, and, and the inspiration that they give on these issues, I, it, it just it, it makes me feel as if I need to just start over again because I feel as if I haven't done much when I look at what they're doing and, and how uh, fearless they are in the face of immense power and opposition. Yes. Immense power and opposition that actually aims to put them down. Yes. But they're standing up. 
you know, and and so I admire that. And then what that's doing in terms of those girls, it's that it's it's then empowering other girls, other boys, other young people to actually stand up as well. And so that's why I think that it's it it is the future for them is boundless. It's barrierless. It's 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 huge and. Uh, you know, I've been I've been in this work for a very long time. I've been an advocate for decades on these issues, and um, it's easy to lose hope at particular points in time. Very easy to lose hope. But um, advocates are the most hopeful people in the world, despite what what may seem as uh, not enough change in in periods of time. We are the most hopeful people in the world because when we see examples of young people who are standing up in the face of uh, strong opposition, we know that it's not going to be this way forever. And, and if you look back in history, you know, we, we, we know that we weren't always here. At one point, women, a hundred years ago, women didn't have the right to vote, um, you know, and not all women had the right to vote when some women did. And so there's been changes over the decades in terms of that. And and those were once young women too, you know, who stood up in the face of immense opposition. So, so you know, if we take examples from that, if we take examples from uh, history, but also today, uh, we'll see that uh, that the future can be bright. Uh, and I say can be, and why I say that is because it takes lots of work to convince many people about the direction that we should be going in society. So whether it's about climate justice, whether mm-hmm. it's about gender equality, whether it's about diversity and inclusion, whether it's about indigenous rights, um, it, it, takes, it takes a lot of work over a period of time to get folks to actually make the right choices in terms of government, uh, make, the, uh, make the right choices in terms of how we utilize and care for the environment, uh, make the right choices in terms of making sure that we do right by, uh, by indigenous people um, and recognizing what our role is in that in terms of reconciliation. So there, there is lots of um, opportunities for young people to engage, for young women to stand up. And I believe that, um, you know, we, the current government has set the tone at least at the cabinet level in terms of 50%. What we need to have that in terms of elected officials, we need to have that in terms of leadership of corporations and different businesses in this country. We need to have that in terms of leadership and organizations, even in a not-for-profit sector. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so all of these things need to be happening, and I, I'm confident that it will. I love your optimism. I'm confident that it will. I really and do. And I'd like to see that in my, in my lifetime, quite frankly. But I have that. I have to be optimistic or else what's the point of getting up every day? Right. (laughs) No, and I I think that the way that you sort of describe the journey of an advocate, it's refreshing. Impact and change is a very long game. And you're right. It takes Mm -hmm. it takes a whole bunch of people and a whole bunch of work Mm -hmm. to bring uh, societal and cultural change. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I love that optimism. I have it too. I think the future is bright. In my own experience, which is frontline still a lot of the time with with young women, I am mm-hmm. astounded mm-hmm. at their 
uh, passion, at their capability, uh, at their desire to uh, have an impact. And um, and I, too, uh, share that optimism in the sense I have no doubt that they will. And so that's actually mm-hmm. a perfect place to sort of almost come to my last question. I am intensely mm-hmm. curious about that path from adolescent uh, learner to leader is the is the way I describe it. Um, from adolescent, that, uh, you know, from mm-hmm. adolescent to young adult, and then ultimately mm-hmm. to to leader. And by leader, I'm I'm going to sort of narrow that scope a little bit and get your opinion. Um, mm-hmm. uh, w- what will it take to move more women into high impact decision making roles across every domain? More, Specifically, you talked about cabinet. You talked about the number of women in the House of Commons. Uh, we can talk about board representation. We can talk about business ownership. We can talk about uh, corporate Canada. We can talk about just about any domain. And there's not yet enough women in high impact decision making roles. So how is it mm-hmm. that we collectively um, as organizations, as governments, as individual parents and uh, educators and mentors, how is it that what specifically, what are the ingredients that go into uh, helping that young woman along the path? And, mm-hmm. you know, to what extent, I know that there's a, a sort of an ongoing dialogue in the women's movement around um whether or not you need to focus on the systemic issues and leave young women alone, or whether there are things that girls and young women need to know and understand. And I I, I tend to think Mm -hmm. an ambitious, we kind of work around both. But what about Mm -hmm. you? And what about the Canadian Women's Foundation? What what do you think are the the secret ingredients to getting more women into those high impact decision making roles? Hmm. Well, I, I think it's a great question, and I'm going to answer it from a couple of angles, if that's okay. Absolutely. Um, so, so uh, like you, I, uh, you know, we we have to work at the individual level, we have to work at the community level, and we also must work at the systemic uh, systems change level. Uh, so that's really important, and that's the work we do in terms of advocacy and public policy work. Um, we 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 have the advantageous position of being able to have really solid relationships with great corporations who see the value of our work with incredible individuals who choose us as their charity of choice, um, who who also believe in what we're talking about today. And, and happen to have the means to be able to support that work. So we're very grateful for that and invite others to join us in that, in that journey and that commitment. Um, but we also, I think, um, have to, through research and through engagement, have to be able to identify what is it that we specifically need to be working on in order to uh, either get rid of or reduce the barriers to allow girls and young women to, uh, to be able to express themselves freely, to be who they are, and to pursue with passion, unbridled passion, what it is that they want to do in this world, right? Mm-hmm. So whether that is leading in their personal lives or whether that is leading at the community or a higher level. So they have to have the freedom to choose what it is that they want to do. Uh, so I think that that's, that's an important piece. I think what's also important is that they can be able to look up 
and look forward and see for themselves others who are leading in those areas that they want to lead in. Because sometimes, not all the times, but sometimes when you can't see it, you don't think you can be it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so as 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 a black woman who is running a national women's organization that is highly favored, I take that very seriously. And so for me, one of one of the things that we all need to do, you, me, others, uh, is is actually uh, reach back reach back, whether, whether it's to folks in our immediate circle, but also going outside of our immediate circle. I see that I have a responsibility to be able to either mentor or be mentored or both, uh, but to have that connectedness with young women and girls so that they don't see that where I am is unreachable and that I am unique and special. And it's yes. not that I don't think I'm unique and special. I kind of think pretty highly of myself, but oh. that's irrelevant. <laughs> I, I, you know, for me, it's about, it's about knowing that this path is also for them if that's what they want to do. Yes. You yeah. know, and, and, and to not hold this position as if I'm so special and no one else can do it. That is ridiculous. And so no, no, matter, no matter where we are in our journey and leadership and the positions that we hold, we need to keep that door open for others to walk in and to also be able to come forward and be their own self-expressed selves. That is really important for me, and I see it as a critical ingredient because I think part of the problem that we have in Canada is that we don't do that enough because we had to fight so damned hard to get to where we are. Interesting. And so we do our best to, to just sustain and maintain ourselves because it was so hard to get to. And that is true. But until we actually realize that the more of us, the better, then we're going to have to keep fighting hard to stay where we are. Right? So that's one thing. The other thing I want to say, you know, one of our founders, the late, great, honorable Rosemary Brown, an immigrant woman who came from Jamaica and who was the first black woman to actually uh, uh, not only um, be in government in B.C. at the provincial level as, as, a, as an M- MP or MLA uh, is what they called it then, but also to run for the leadership of a national political party in Canada. Um, and I'm not uh, shy to say she, she was Jamaican as well. Mm-hmm. Um, she, what she said in terms of her vision for the Canadian Women's Foundation and the other founders of the foundation, what she said was, until all of us have made it, none of us have made it. And I surmise what she meant by that is what we now call in, in beautiful words, diversity and inclusion, but it's really about us being able to open the door, not just for people who look like us, but for people who look different from us. So until all of us, none of us, I think that's a statement about diversity and inclusion. I think it's a statement about making sure that we're not just about us but we're about everybody. We're about all women and girls being able to flourish and thrive and function in a healthy way in society. I completely uh, am inspired by, by that and, and by the idea of, like you said, 
and I guess that uh, we we attribute to to Rosemary Brown, the late great Rosemary Brown, um, that uh, until everyone makes it, no one makes it. I the the whole concept of uh, diversity, inclusion, intersectionality around this work is absolutely critical, and the the role of role models like yourself, uh, I think, uh, absolutely cannot be understated in terms of its importance for for young. Uh, girls and women and looking forward. I also think, however, that the people who are closest, so the the audience and the listeners of this podcast, should not underestimate their own influence. The real life, everyday role models that are the parents and the teachers and and the mentors in the community-based programs or the coaches or whoever are circling around, those uh, people, men and women, everyone around young girls, have um, tremendous influence uh, on uh, on their future and on their pathway and on their ability to thrive, as you say, and reach their full potential. Um, so it, it does fall to to those who are in those high uh, role or high impact roles to to reach back, as you say. But I also think it's uh, incumbent on everyone to start to be a little bit more conscious of their unconscious bias, to think about mm-hmm. the ways that they interact in their own home and in the classroom uh, and in the schools, uh, and to really uh, be um, thoughtful about mm-hmm. how they're including young women uh, at every intersection. Mm-hmm. And I, I would add, be thoughtful and deliberate. Yes. Well, I right? agree with that. Deliberate sure. about yes. it, right? So, yeah. so make, it, make it something that you see that is necessary to do, you know? So whether it's promoting intergenerational leadership, because sometimes we're leaving young women outside of these critical conversations and they see the world very differently and they're the ones who are most at risk, as you said at the beginning of our conversation around issues of harassment and sexual assault, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, so they need to be brought into the conversation because sometimes our conversations are exclusive as opposed to inclusive, you know, so, so that's really important. And, and I love what you're saying in terms of we all have roles to play and how can we actually utilize the roles that we're operating in to actually bring about the change that we seek. Yes. Well, uh, with that, because I, I, I can tell we have a lot in common in terms of our shared interests and beliefs, so we could quite conceivably go on at length, but I am conscious of the time. <laughs> so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if there's sort of any one last thought that you would like to leave our audience with, um, maybe mm-hmm. a bit of advice or um, some insight, and, um, and also if you wouldn't mind sharing um, the details of uh, the Canadian Women's Foundation should they want to find you, find out about your programming and find out how to get involved? Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay, so um, so what I'll say, <laughs> one last advice. Um, I, usually, I usually normally end with Rosemary's advice um, or, or quote, um, but since I've used that already, I'm going to find a different one okay. <laughs> that I also like. Um, which I think is about an aspect of leadership that's important, and and I talked about it, which is about um, mentoring or whatever you call it, supporting, but I call it be a mentor, support a mentor, right? And, mm-hmm. and you know, there, there are several young women that I uh, have, uh, you know, lots of opportunity to meet and talk with and engage with, and they may see me as a mentor, and I see them as my mentor because you know I'm I'm kind of up there in 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 age, and so there's many things that I don't know that they share with me. Um, so I I 
I deliberately uh, make sure that I am always in conversation with several young, diverse young women who may seek me out, and, and I tend to say yes, right? I tend to say yes to those opportunities, and I see it as a critical part of my work. So I guess the advice that I would say is uh, t- take the opportunity uh, uh, to, to bring a young woman along with you, um, uh, to not just see her as someone who, um, who needs your help, because it's not a top-down situation, it really is uh, creating an, uh, a relationship with someone to support them on their journey that they can learn from your own experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and, and, but they, that you can also are open to learning from them in terms of the world that we're actually living in today that we don't know much about as well. So, so that's, um, I think that's the advice I would end with. And in terms of connecting with the Canadian Women's Foundation, I would recommend that you go to our website, canadianwoman.org, uh, to learn more about us, more about the work we do. We also have uh, an extraordinary, extraordinary new uh, campaign video that we released last fall that I would encourage you to see. It's called Tireless. So you can go to jointhetireless.ca to see that video. And, and, and that video actually captures beautifully the vision that we have for gender equality in Canada. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I love that uh, that sort of parting advice for folks is to continue having conversations with young women and bring them along. That's, that's a perfect place mm-hmm. to leave it. And thank you so much for sharing uh, uh, and directing folks towards, uh, towards the work that you do at the foundation. It has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I really, really appreciate the time that you've taken today. And uh, I hope that we can continue this conversation uh, into the future. And I really thank you again for, for coming. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you also for the conversation. It's been, it's been wonderful. I, I look forward to other opportunities that we will have for sure. Thank you to our listeners for joining us on Beginner Women, a show where we throw out our adult agendas to shape a new future for girls. Check out our show notes for the resources we talked about in today's episode and for the actionable insights you can use to nurture and empower the girls you know. If you like what you hear on our show, write us a review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to subscribe wherever you find your favorite shows. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Ambitious. That's A-M-B-I-S-H-E-O-U-S. 